morning, church. Great to see you all this morning. Praise the Lord. It's great to be here in this house, in the house of our meeting, and worship the Lord, the gathering of the church, and uh, what a blessing and privilege it is. I was going to take a poll real quick. How many of you, uh, by a show of hands, how many of you knew the song, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus? Would you raise your hand, anybody? Okay, I knew Debbie Stowers did. That's a brand new song from like, I don't know, what is that, 1800? I mean, that's old. Um, so it just goes to show you, you know, if you, if you have a pair of bell bottoms in your closet, just hold on, they're, they're coming back, you know. So, um, Dan, I appreciate the rendition of that. That was uh, well done, my brother. Great, it's a great song, great lyrics to that, and uh, reminds us again of the great love of Jesus. And uh, so, uh, well done, and uh, I heard y'all trying to sing it, and I thought to myself, we're teaching these people some new music from the hymnal, and uh, yeah, I grew up singing that one in our church, so I always thought it was, it was a cool song. Our pianist could never play it right, but it was a cool song. So thank you guys for, for doing a great job with that, and thank you church for hosting the associational meeting yesterday here, and those of you all that did all the work for that, and... Um, um, I just got to show up and look pretty. That was it. And um, I know, I know, that's, that's quite a task. We need, a, we need somebody to do makeup. That's the next thing on the agenda, right? So, yes, well, amen. You know, um, every year, it seems like, the, like in the NFL, there's an off-season, or maybe the Major League Baseball, and uh, contract negotiations start. And uh, it's always people are on edge. You always have people holding out. You know? And uh, you have really two sides that just can't seem to come together. They, you have the ownership and you have the player. And they can't seem to agree on, on the terms. And so the player usually has uh, an agent, somebody that's a go-between. And that person is the one that actually does the negotiating of the contract uh, so that the two sides can come together. You also have uh, one of those kinds of persons, sometimes if there's a, a dispute among family members, and uh, you'll have somebody that is, is assigned to try to bring the sides together so that they can restore the relationship and they can agree upon uh, whatever the issue is that is keeping them apart. In the realm of e eternity, Humans, each one of us, we have a, a, a really deep, deep problem with God. And God holds all the cards. We have no leverage. It's all uh, on Him. And we as humans have broken the covenant of works. And that is, if we had done what He would have told us to do, then we would have been in a right relationship with Him forever. But we broke that covenant. The covenant is simply a relationship agreement. And God was just saying, do what I tell you to do, and I'll take care of the rest. How about that? And so to, to just do what I ask you to do. And everything that God would ask humanity to do was always good. Always good for the humans themselves and always good and right morally. So there was peace and there was no evil. But humans could not keep that covenant. We could not keep the covenant of works. And we broke it. And when we broke it, there are conditions and things that happen when you break a covenant of a relationship. And the condition was that whenever humans did that, that they would be cut off from God and separated from Him. 
The Bible talks about us being at enmity with God. We're in a state of warfare with him now. The one who actually created us and loved us and created us in his own image and transferred to us the management and oversight of the entire planet. And yet we declared war on him and said, we will not have your way. We will not do life on your terms. We will have no king over us. We will rule ourselves how we please for our own glory and for our own honor. And humans to the person has lived by that agenda and by that philosophy from the moment that they come out into the world. No one has ever had to teach a two-year-old to lie. I don't know about y'all, but as parents, we didn't have like lying days. You know what we're going to do to our kids today? Let's teach them to lie and just be snotty. It's natural. Why is it that way? Because every person born into this world is already cut off from God. We're not in a covenant relationship with Him. And if there were not someone that would come and take the hand of humans and grasp the hand of the Father and bring us together, then humans would have no hope. And so this morning, I want to talk about this one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 8 this morning. Now, I just want to highlight, uh, more than anything else, this one who is the mediator. The Bible tells us here in verses 5 and 6 of the mediator's person who he is. Look in verse 5, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. Well, we could preach a sermon series of 12 to 40 sermons on those two verses. There is a tremendous amount of information there, and every word is important. But let's just take a few moments and reflect upon what we can here. I've pointed out here, first of all, about this mediator, his exceptionality. The Bible says that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. Now, the word there is one God reminds us that there aren't three gods. There aren't a multitude of gods that one religion has a God, another has a God, another has a different God. There isn't a, a Parthenon of gods out there. Aren't you glad of that? Because here's the issue. What if you, being an American citizen, got things right with your God? But then for some reason, you got transferred to Dubai. Oh boy, you've got to figure out how to get right with that God now. A whole new ball game. Learn some Arabic. That ought to take you a good solid 10 years. Then what happens then if you have another job transfer? What if in the meantime, before you come back to the States, we switch God's? Aren't you glad there's just one God? One God. Now, here's the thing. Every religion that we know of, organized religion at, at least, claims to know that one God. 
The problem with it is, is they deny what that one God says about himself in the word of God. Because see, ladies and gentlemen, the Quran is not the word of God. It's the mumblings of a man who got stuck in a cave and didn't know what to do with his time. You say, well, that's disrespectful. Is it disrespectful that a whole group of people lie to the world and send people to hell? Is that respectful? It's disrespectful. So it's not the truth. And all these other religions that come up with their idea of God, it's not the truth. We go to what the Bible says. Why? Because it's written by the prophets and the apostles and Jesus Christ himself giving them his stamp of approval. So there's one God. Now this word probably comes from the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 which tells us here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is a unity. But we also know that the Lord is a triunity. He has three personalities existing commonly at the same time. These three personalities, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, each of them equal in essence. They each equally share the essence that is God. Yet they have three distinct personalities. They operate cooperatively, but they are not duplications of one another. They do not switch around and play different roles, like sometimes God is this role and sometimes God is that role. That's called modalism, and that's a heresy. This God that we worship is a God who does not change, but who is beyond mere human logic. He is that one God who has revealed himself in the scriptures. He is the God that stood on the edge of nothingness and spoke into existence everything that is. From the smallest atom to the largest mammal, God spoke it into existence. God did not have anything from which to work. There was no big bang because there was nothing to bang together. This God created everything ex nihilo out of nothing. God is someone. But when God existed before he created anything, there was not anything except God. Where was he located? Nowhere and everywhere. There was nowhere. That's our God. Do not be so foolish to think you have it figured out. If you want me to go further, I can make you cry. This is the one God. Mysterious and awful and a consuming fire. And yet, oozing with love for sinners and mercy and grace and kindness. There is one God. But this is the God who hates sin. And let me go ahead and tell you something that the Psalms remind us of. God hates sinners. We say stupid stuff as evangelicals because we've gotten so sloppy with the syrupy non-denominationalism of human invention so that we can please every customer that comes into our doors. We're not here to please anybody but the Lord Jesus. I don't care if people like it or not. 
This is no popularity parade. So we say these things about God that are just untrue. But God here tells us in his word that he hates the wicked. Hates. There's a fundamental problem between humans and this awful almighty God who is the I am. Who is existence itself. There is an awful problem. The problem is that we have defied him. We have been disloyal to him. We have been disingenuous toward him. We have been arrogant. We have been defiant. And we will not have his rule over us. And as a result, the Bible says that our God has told us that if we sin against him, that we will perish. Jesus said that we are condemned already because we have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. There is a great gap between God and humanity. It's a gap that no religion can bridge. All the works of goodness and kindness that we may do in this world will not lay one beam across the giant chasm that exists between a holy God and an unholy humanity. There are no works that can be done. There are no rituals that can be performed. There is no place to attend. There is no Mecca to go to. There is no journey that can be taken. There are no steps to climb up. There is no payment that can be made. There is nothing that can be done in order to bring us together with this awful, holy God who hates the wicked. Nothing. If humanity could ever come to that realization, there would be hope. But humans arrogantly and defiantly continue to hang on to their philosophy of what God ought to do. They think there is one God and humans think that they are it. And that's the problem. Do you understand the awful flames of hell? Do you understand the existence to be separated from the grace and goodness and mercy of God for all of eternity? And to be under nothing but His awful wrath and His frowning face for all of eternity? Do you understand what that is? There is an awful problem between humans and God. But the Bible says... There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Do you know what God has done? The Bible speaks of the fact that he is unique. He is extraordinary. The Bible says of him that he is exceptional. The Bible says that there is only one who can mediate this war 
between God and sinful humanity. And his name is Jesus. Notice here that the Bible speaks of there's a mediator, one mediator between God and men. And the word men there is not an heir, which is the male species, but the word is anthropos, which is humanity. And so he's speaking here of humanity. It's not just that men are in a state of animosity against God. It's women too. Y'all look prettier, but you're just as mean. There we go. Amen. Mark, your wife's not here, is she? Amen. There's one mediator between God and humanity. And then the Bible says it's the man, Christ Jesus. Here's what we believe about Jesus Christ. Jesus existed as the Son of God for all of eternity because the Son of God is God. Yet at the appointed time, he took on humanity, a human nature. The nature of his deity never mixed and commingled with the nature of humanity. Yet they were welded together in one person, Jesus of Nazareth. He never, his human nature was never convoluted by his deity. And deity was never invaded by his human nature. Yet those two natures existed in him at the same time. He became truly man. He had to be a man because only a man can represent man. We learn from the Old Testament that goats and sheep and animals cannot represent people. They can signify their need, but they can never satisfy the need. It took a man, a man who is perfect, a man who never sins to be the mediator, one who could represent humanity, one who could stand in the awful holy presence of God and not be slain because of his own sin. It took that kind of a man. But yet in order to do that which needed to be done, he was also God. And so to represent back to us what God is like, he revealed God in his incarnation. He showed us who God really is. Brothers and sisters, there is no human being that has ever existed or ever will exist who could do that. Only Jesus. There's only one mediator between God and man. Jesus is the great high priest. The others pointed to him. But Jesus is the finality of the system. He's the only one who could be the propitiation. That is to satisfy the wrath of God against our sin by his blood. The book of Hebrews reminds us that he went and presented his own blood before the Father to satisfy the wrath of God. The Bible also tells us that he ever lives to make intercession. Now may I say something offensive to you all. This foolishness of praying to saints is ridiculous. It is to look at the office of Jesus as the high priest. To look at his office as if it is insufficient. 
and to say that no, there's not one mediator between God and men, that there are several mediators. It just depends on the flavor of the day. That heresy of popery tells us that Jesus is the mediator for redemption, but that the saints are the mediators for intercession. Well, I would challenge them all the way up to the Vatican to show me in the scriptures where it ever says that. It tells us that there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that he intercedes for us. Now you say, well, wait a minute. People in our church are supposed to intercede for one another. Absolutely. But we always do it through Jesus. We don't do it through Mary or Joseph or St. Patrick or St. Christopher or St. Timothy even. Thank God for that. It's through him. Now you say, well, that's just a minor point. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's not a minor point. It's about prayer for one thing. Now, I got kicked out of the National Day of Prayer for saying these kinds of things. Shocker. If you want to know why I don't trick you on down to the little park down there and make my appearance, it's because I'm tired of the heresy. I'm going to speak and stand for truth. I'm not there to unify with people who deny the Bible and deny the office of Jesus. I'm not there for that. If I want to go hang out with the pagans, I'll go over here to the roadhouse back over here on Frenchtown Road. At least they have motorcycles over there. That's ridiculous. It's belittling the work of Jesus and saying the work of Jesus was not enough. So I would just stand on the side of Jesus and they can stand on the side of religion. And those of y'all want to defend that, well... Happy day to you. He's exceptional. He's sufficiency here. Verse 6 says, He gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now then, let me give you a theological conundrum. That's even a problem too. Here's your problem. Jesus said of himself that he gave himself a ransom for many. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. So which is it? Did he give himself a ransom for all? Or did he give himself a ransom for many? In the book of John he reminds us that he died for those that the father had given him. He prays for those in John 17. So we have to ask ourselves a question then. Is there a contradiction here in the Bible? It would be hard for me to imagine that Luke, who wrote the same words about the ransom of Jesus and was a cohort with Paul, as well as Timothy, that they couldn't get their notes right. So therefore, there must not be a contradiction in meaning. There must be a contradiction in our understanding. So therefore, let's take a look at that. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 that he died a ransom for many, he was talking about the elect. We believe in particular atonement here. We don't believe that Jesus died on the cross and threw it out there in a dog bowl and said, now somebody come and get it, I hope. 
We believe that God from eternity past already has decreed whom he will call. And Jesus has specifically died for those so that not one drop of his blood was wasted upon the cross. Not one single drop. Not one moment of suffering failed to hit its mark. Not one bit of the wrath of God that was suffered by Jesus was in vain. Every bit of it was efficacious. Meaning that it worked. That's what we believe. We are particular as Baptists. We're not general. So that's what we believe. You say, well, preacher, that's hard to handle. Oh, it is hard to handle for sure. I'm not here to give you things easy to handle. That's how it works. And then then your mind jumps to something that ought not jump to. Well, then how do we know who... There you go. You don't know. And I don't know. And we'll never know until we get there on the other side. Now, so he died for those. What does it mean here then? He's a ransom for all. Well, what's the context, beloved? He's been talking about the fact that salvation is for all kinds of people. Even those, as the scripture says in verse 2, who are kings and those in authority. Guess what? Good news. Donald Trump can be saved. We should pray for his salvation. I got a kind of an inkling that Mike Pence might be working on him. You never know why people are elected. It may not be for the wall. It may be to save somebody's soul. So there you go. Guess what? Joe Biden can be saved. He's one of those kind of people. But he can be saved. Now I know y'all from this part of Ohio don't believe that's possible. Some of y'all think salvation is connected to the NRA somehow. Well, I got news for you, it's not. Sadly, some of y'all do your Christianity like you do your gun, conceal and carry. I think it's about time that you come out of the closet. Lord Jesus. I hope this is being recorded. I don't remember when I ever felt like this. Well, Jesus here is what the Bible is saying is that he is sufficient. His death is sufficient for all who will believe. But it's only efficient for those who do believe. If you like to hear it that way, then that's good. If you want to hear it from God's perspective, it is this. God saves by the death of Jesus all that he's chosen to save. And in those that he's chosen to save are all kinds of people. All kinds. You say, well, I don't know if I'm one of those. If you'll come to Jesus, you are. You just, you just get up from there in a minute and come to Jesus. Quit pontificating about what you think can't be and give your heart and life to Christ. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Nobody's going to go into eternity and saying, well, I wasn't one of the elect. You're going to go into eternity and you'll go to hell say, because you didn't choose Jesus. Throng you people. Mediator's person. Now look at the mediator's preacher. Verse 7, Paul says this. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle 
I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now look at the preacher's mission here. He says he's a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And he kind of piles up these things. And so what is a preacher here? It comes from the verb form of this is caruso. This means someone who proclaims. Someone who's been given a message and he's not allowed to change the message. But he goes into the town square and he stands up on a high point and he says, gather around people. I have something from the king. And he is tasked with saying exactly what the king says. He must not say what he thinks the king should have said. He's not able to say what he thinks the people would like for the king to have said. He must declare what the king has said and only what the king has said. He is a herald. He is there to proclaim what the king has said. I tremble the fact that in our town this morning people are gathering in church and nobody is declaring what the king has said. Too busy shuffling around trying to attract each other with our prissiness rather than declaring what the king has said. That's what the preacher does. Now Paul was also an apostle and that's an office that's no longer in existence. Sometimes you get the ones out on the fringe that want to say they're an apostle. Don't believe it. The apostles were witnesses of the life of Jesus and they saw him as a bodily resurrected Lord. So Paul was an apostle. An apostle's like an ambassador. He's appointed to represent so he represented the king and then a teacher of the Gentiles. He's to take the word of God and break it down and explain it to those who were formerly outside of the covenant. The Gentiles, that would be y'all. And so to explain it to those who were not insiders. And then he talks about his motive. What's his motive as a preacher? He says that it's in faith and truth, in the realm of faith and truth. What does he talk about? He talks about the faith. And he talks about the truth. That's the realm of his work. Those things. Nothing more, nothing less. I was talking to a guy yesterday. And he was saying, you know, these people come to me. He's a pastor. He said, they come to me with their problems. And I just don't know what to say. I thought, dear Jesus, help us. I said, brother, you don't know what to say? You tell them what the king says. Lord, what, what are you thinking? Well, I just, I'm, not, I'm just not sure. I said, you need to get in the word of God. You need to quit playing around with strategies and ideas. And you need to get your nose in the book. It'll help you. And then I told him, I said, my deacons know what to do. They go to the hospital. It's a three-step strategy. They go in, introduce themselves, and listen to the patient. I tell them, do not tell the patient about somebody that you know that had the same disease that they have and died. We have some just joy killers on our deacon staff. and Do not tell them that. Do not tell them about the last time you felt that way. They don't care. You listen to what they have to say. At this moment, you don't matter. You are a person there as just a mouthpiece. You listen 
to what they have to say, then you say, listen, I just came to share with you what God says, and you open the word of God to one of the Psalms, you read them a couple of verses of scripture, and you pray for them, you tell them you love them, and you leave. I have seen time and time again where people are anxious, and they're dealing with this stuff in their life, and I open the, the book and just read a few verses and they just lean back and close their eyes at peace. Why? Because God is speaking. That's what we do. We proclaim what he has said. Our motive is that we are to simply give people the faith and the truth. Just give that to them. We don't have to know everything about all of their difficulties and problems. We just give them the faith and we give them the truth. We show them that they can rely upon God, that he's a good God, that he's a loving God, that he's a wise God, that he knows all things, and they can trust him. And we also give them the truth, the truth about God and the truth about their soul. As John Calvin said, know God and know yourself. If you know those two things, you're going to be in pretty good shape. So you help people to know those two things. That's what we do as a church, we, those two things. Just simply that. Nobody else is doing that. We have to do that. And so that's the preacher, the mediator's preacher. He has sent people. The mediator has sent people to proclaim the message of mediation. We're not the mediator. I can't mediate between you and God. I point you to the one who can. Man, I was getting my hair cut one time. And, and so this gal, she just hacking away man she was dropping the f-bomb about every third word just talking away i'm just quiet sitting there i didn't have my suit and tie on i think i had my batman shirt on that's what i am in my spare time superhero she is going 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 i just let go paid for my haircut and went second time i went in there about a month later same thing finally she drew a breath she said now what do you do <laughs> my wife thinks it's a cruel trick to do that to people but I, I gotta I have to humor myself and I said well uh, I'm a pastor she dropped her scissors And I said, it's worse than that, ma'am. I'm a Baptist pastor. <laughs> she began to stutter. And she tried to remember how to say curse words without actually saying them. I'm just having a good time. I was sitting there saying, I think you need to take a little more off the side. I wanted to make it a long day for her. Finally, I, she apologized. And I said, you don't have to apologize to me. I'm not God. I just tell people about him. Your issue's with him. It's not with me. Now, how much of that haircut be? See, I'm not the mediator. I'm your pastor, but I'm not your mediator. There's one. And I'm here just to tell you about him. And you're to tell your neighbors about him. You're not him. You can't solve their problems. But you point them to the one who can. Now, 
In verse 8, we have the mediator's prayers, those who pray. Now, verse 8, look what he says. I desire them. Thinking about this whole thing of salvation and the mediator, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ being the go-between for people, for sinful man and the holy God. And God desires people of all kinds to come to Jesus and be saved. And so then he says, I desire then. The word then is therefore just means in light of what we just said now. Here's what I desire, Paul says, that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So, what do we do then? Well, here's what he's telling us. Those who are the prayers, he talks about public prayer. That in every place the men should pray. Now, the word in every place does not mean Walmart here. It doesn't mean the gas station, though I think you should pray there. But this is talking about in the scriptures when it's every place, it means every place that God's people gather as the church. That's how it's used in every context in the Bible, every place that it's used. So he's talking about actually public prayer. And that when the church gathers, that there should be prayer. What kind of prayer? We've already spoken of that kind of prayer, evangelistic praying. Now, who is to do the praying? You can figure it out. The men. In public worship, the men are to do the praying. And we're going to get into some other stuff here that's going to just make you squirm. If, you, if, you, if you're into, like, counterculture, keep on coming back for this book. The men are to do it. Now, I've seen this verse of Scripture taken so out of context that people uh, look at it like we're supposed to lift up our hands and worship. Listen, guys, I went to rock and roll concerts before I got saved, and that's what pagans are there doing the same thing. Now, what they do that's cool that we don't do is they have their lighter. Like when Pastor Dan gets to a slow song, <laughs> click. You know, we don't get that. But So it's not really talking about that. Even though I've seen worship pastors, we have a good worship pastor. He has some theological training. Most ones I know, they know quarter notes, but they don't know the scriptures. And it's scary when they start talking. I, I just cringe. Pastor Dan lets me relax. I'm like, sure, praise Jesus. This is good. He's using the scripture. I love it. It's great. I can relax. Thank you, Pastor Dan. It's the first time in my ministry I've been able to relax. So this is the, the men. This is not about what is your posture while you're singing. This is about men praying publicly. Now, if you look at the some of the sketchings and the catacombs of the early church, you'll notice that a lot of their lifting of hands in prayer was like this. One hand over the heart, one hand up. You know why? In prayer, they were taking a pledge. They were declaring loyalty to Jesus in their praying. Lord, you are the one mediator, and we declare you to be the one and only. We are sinful people. Even though you've come into our lives, we're fallible, we're helpless. But we swear our loyalty to you again, Lord Jesus. And we call upon you now to help us. These people do not know you. Would you bring them to yourself? And they would pray for their neighbors. That's how men would lift up holy hands. 
in prayer. Not the women. Now, most of the time I go to worship services and people take this. So literally, it's the women. They'll come to you. Pastor, I think I just feel like I need to lift up holy hands. Well, you know what? That ain't you, honey. Drawing attention to yourself. This is for the men. The men are like, oh, no. Yeah, really. Now, here's the thing. This phrase, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, it really is this. It's really not so much about your posture in prayer because the Bible has several different explanations and examples of posture in prayer. So, guys... Breathe a sigh of relief. You can keep your hands in your pockets while you're praying. But what this is really talking about is, as the psalmist would say, our lives are such that we have nothing to hide from God. If your kids ever gotten something out of the refrigerator they're not supposed to get, and the, the, the mom is always the one that's like in tune with it, the dad's like, well, the house not on fire. I guess we're all right around here. But the mom is like, she knows, like, wait a minute, something's missing. And so she's like, what's that in your hand? And what does the kid say? Nothing. You can't go to God like that with sin in your life. And God says, what's that in your hand? And you go, oh, nothing. Open them up, God says. You know what he's saying? Turn loose of that sin. Turn loose of that which defiles your life. Turn loose of that which is impure in your life. And then you can approach me and pray for those who need Christ. So without anger or quarreling, I don't know if that is toward God or toward people. I've seen it used both ways in the scripture. Sometimes we quarrel with God over his answers or lack of answers to prayer, don't we? We quarrel with God. God, why don't you? Why don't you do X? God, why aren't you? God, will you hurry up? God, will you? And so we began to get frustrated with God about it. But also this, the scripture is very clear that if we have something against our brother or sister, that we leave our gift there at the altar, we go and get it right with them, then we come and worship so we can't have quarreling with our brothers and sisters in Christ and expect to have answered prayer. How can we be people praying for the reconciliation of sinners toward our Savior when we're not reconciled with those who have been reconciled to God? So we can't have that in our lives. So our hands have to be clean in that way. We can't be the kind of people that are always disputing and quarreling. Have you ever seen those people that just have that disposition? It's like they're, they're an argument waiting to happen. Just everywhere they go, there's nothing. It drives me nuts. You say to them things like this, well, it's nice weather. Well, I've seen better. Okay. Well, it's good worship service, wasn't it? Not like we had in Dallas when I was growing up. Uh, okay. Well, don't you think uh, Bob and Ron did good on the PowerPoint stuff today? Well, not bad for old men. I mean, you know, it's like you can't satisfy them. And so those kind of people, if that is your nature, you need Jesus. You, man, you have got to do something about that. 
You can't be that way. There are people that are like that. They, they come, you, we, you know, for a long time, I don't know, uh, those of y'all that are new, you missed all the fun. Uh, I used to have protesters, and they were members of my church. They would come in for Sunday school, and then they would make sure that they made a really giant parade out the door for worship. We're not listening to him kind of thing. I think we still maybe have one or two of those, but their soul is shriveling. They'll, they'll be okay. But, but you, know, that, you can't have that and be right with the Lord. You, you just have, have you ever stopped to think of this? I'm too old to change, so you better get with it. Have you ever thought that if you're in dispute with someone that some of it may be on you? It could, it could be. And so if you, you can't live life like that. And then say, I want to be part of the prayer ministry. Really? Who are you going to be talking to is what I'd like to know. We're just going to pray. Really? Well, that's not how prayer works. So the first order of prayer is, Lord, help me to see my own sin that I may confess it to you. Lord, help me to see, this is second, help me to see my sin against my brothers and sisters in Christ so that I can confess it to them. Then I can come to the Lord with holy hands without anger or quarreling. Then, see, here's what I wonder. I wonder if we really paid attention to that. And I wonder if we really began to spend time praying for the salvation of those who are lost. I really wonder if we wouldn't see a massive turning of people to Jesus in our county. See, we haven't tried what God has said yet. We've tried every prop, every kind of production that we can think of. We haven't tried God When's the last time that our men just stood up in a worship service and we said, we're going to take a few moments, call out the first name of somebody that you're praying for that they need to be saved. What about that? And what would it be like when you saw one of those raggedy old dudes get off from Kenworth early, decide for some reason they don't know to come to church that day and just get a heart full of Jesus? What would it be like? That's how you have joy in your church, right? So uh, Pastor Joe introduces something not long back of bless every home. That's a good little tool. Let me tell you about uh, my experience with that. We have neighbors, and uh, we don't know them real well. We're trying to get to know them. My wife's been doing something really good, and so she's doing that. We, we don't know if they're saved or not. We don't know that about it. We haven't gotten that far yet. Just praying for them, and so something came up in their life, and my wife was able to share some stuff with them. Um, we we had not long back. Uh, I, I had to have the sewer dug up, and uh, boy, that's nice. So there's this huge amount of dirt in our backyard, and I've been grumbling about that. I can't believe how much money we had to spend on that. And it's, it's ridiculous, you know, and blah blah blah. Well, the kids next door were attracted to that big dirt pile. You know that family we're praying for? And they began to come over and try to play on that dirt. 
And so the parents would come out in the yard and say, get off that dirt, get off that dirt. My wife's like, let them come over and get on the dirt. It's all right. So they come over there, and they start picking up sticks. I'm like, hey, bring those kids back over here. <laughs> so uh, Friday, I was supposed to come home and grill steaks. So uh, our neighbors were out in the yard. So I turned the grill on real fast, and I'm going to go over there, and, and my wife has already engaged them a little bit. I want to get to know them. So I get the grill going, get it warm up. I'm going over there. And I'm talking to them, and said, my wife said, honey, the grill is on fire. I turned around, and yeah, flames were shooting out of there. I'm like, man, we can grill some steaks on that. I had left the scrubber thingamajiggy in there. And that thing had just, it was on fire. So I tried to open that lid. It's just too much, and so thankfully I had a fire extinguisher. So my neighbors got to witness this. We're getting to know each other now. But here, here's, here's the thing. You get to know people by name and get to know the kids and what's going on in their life. And you begin to pray for them by name. And you begin to lift up holy hands for them. And I don't know where they are with the Lord. We'll find that out eventually. My other neighbor, we had a cable problem and we didn't speak. I mean, there was nothing wrong. We just didn't speak. And he came out in the yard one day and spoke. Thought, that's what I get for praying for him. Nice guy, you know. But the, the, begin to pray for them by name. So here's what I'm saying to us here. If there's only one mediator, and the Bible says that there is, and that if Jesus gave himself as a ransom for sinners, and he did, and if he's appointed people to go and proclaim this message that there's one mediator between God and men, and he has. And if he has said that our role in all of this must include and start with prayer, lifting up prayer on, on, on behalf of sinners who cannot pray and do not have a mediator, then my question is, why are we not doing that? Why, why are we not doing that? Why, why are we doing everything else in the world but doing that? We think it doesn't work, I guess. I'm thinking this, that mostly this is the way we are. It's not that God has been tried and failed. We just never tried God. We just never try what he says. It just sounds like it doesn't work. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try God. And so I'm going to ask you right now, bow your heads where you are. And I'm going to ask the men to do something. If you're a member of this church or you're a born-again believer, I want you, men, I want you all to come down the altar right now. Just leave, leave your families right there. They'll be fine unless they're unsupervised and bring them with you. Now, men, you've been assigned by the Scriptures to do something. This is on you. Get on up here, boys. You all can bend a knee. Some of you will help you get up if you get stuck. Now then, fellas, I'm going to ask you this question. Can you, right now, is your life at the place where you can say, I can lift up holy hands to the Lord? That is, I have a life before God 
that is, as far as I know, confessed up to date. I, all the sin I know is confessed up to date with the Lord. I've owned up to it, and I've asked God to help me repent of it. If you haven't done that, if you're wallowing around in some kind of sin right now, then now's the time, fellas. Men, this is the time. Just call out to the Lord and say, God, I've sinned against you. I have not lived according to your ways in this area of my life. I confess it to you as sin. It's wrong. It's nobody's fault but my own. And I ask you to give me the grace to repent of it, to leave it, to be done with. Now, men, let's talk about the second issue. If you Are you in a situation of you've got some kind of anger or quarreling going on with another follower of Jesus. If you do, would you do this? Would you talk to the Lord right now and say, Lord, it's wrong. This is not about whose fault it is. This is about me letting something get to this point of anger and quarreling with another follower of Jesus. So Lord, as soon as this is over, I'm going to go to that person, hug their neck, tell them I'm praying for them. All right? Now then, fellows, here's what we're going to do. You know at least one person that does not know Jesus. We don't need their last names. We don't need their address. But when I tell you go... I want to hear you guys calling out the name of at least one person. If you've got three or four, call them out. It doesn't matter. At least one person. It'd be really, really helpful if it's somebody in our community, but maybe you don't know anybody, and maybe it's just a family member, and that's fine too. But I want you to call that name out loud. The congregation needs to hear you guys praying for those people. Okay? So ready? One, two, three, go. Now then, guys, we're going to do something we used to do at a church where I grew up. I'm going to get y'all to pray out loud at the same time. Here's how that works. You pray and ask God to save that person that you just called out. But I want you to pray aloud, but I'm going to let you pray at the same time. That way nobody out there can really tell and hear you praying, okay? So it gives you a little bit of cover. But when I tell you go, we're going to take one minute of prayer, Okay? But you want you to pray aloud, and I want you to ask God. You can use uh, John 16 if you like to help, help them to understand sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know what that's about. So you can do that if you like, okay? So we're going to pray out loud now for one minute. I want you to allow those women out there to hear you guys pray, okay? They need to hear it. All right, here we go. One, two, three, pray. Pray. 